You see that stupid number in your checking account? It's called wasted potential. Now I'm gonna let you in on a little secret about something called the portfolio. And it's not gonna build itself, okay? Without you, it's just another number on a screen. Like a jungle full of bananas and no ape in sight. Well, I'm gonna take you to that jungle. Because in the case of these portfolios, it is gonna be up to each and every one of you. My speculative degenerates, my apes, and of course my apets, who will not hit the cell until your account either flies or flops and dies! Hello everyone, welcome back to Always Picking Electric Securities. Today is January 10th, 2022. It's your host, Alex Marku, and on today's episode, I'm going to fill you in on the progress I've made for Loopring so far. I'll give a quick summary of every company I have on my watch list, and then I'll be adding some stocks to the Apes portfolio. For the gambling segment, I'm going to give some quick updates on the NFL weekend game slots, and then I'll be giving out the picks I'm making today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. To finish off the episode, I'm going to be diving into what stock splits and stock reverses are, along with some information on dividends. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Financial Disclaimer Since this is an investing podcast, I will give out the disclaimer that everything I do on this podcast has the potential to reach 100% loss. Welcome back, apes and retail investors that think alike. On today's investing segment, I'm going to give you a quick update on the apes portfolio, and then after that, I'll let you know the process I went through over the weekend trying to onboard onto Looprings Layer 2 system, and some of the things I'll still need to set up so I can officially start trading crypto on it. Then I've decided to dive into a quick summary of my company's watch list, just so you can get an idea of why I have these companies on the list anyways. And then to wrap up the investing segment, I'll be laying out two speculative plays that I have in mind for this weekend because I just think the one year anniversary for these two stocks is going to see another new high. So let's get started and jump right into the apes portfolio. For my securities department, its valuation right now is sitting at about $535.40. For the crypto section, I have a valuation of $171.32. And then the gambling segment, still waiting on Sunday Night Football to finish, is valued at $309.58 at the worst. If the Raiders find a way to win, well then that's going to be up by a little bit more. This puts my Apes portfolio at a total valuation of $1,016.30, which for me, since the money I've put in, is down about 15.3%. Now something else that needs to be brought up in this Apes portfolio update is that I bought 30 shares of Super League Gaming on Friday morning just as I promised, and the average cost for my shares was about $2.23. The way I ensured I could buy my shares without having to wake up super early in the morning is I placed a buy limit order on Thursday to buy at least 30 shares if the price was at least $2.80. This means as long as the price didn't open above that mark, the shares would be instantly bought for me, and this way I was able to sleep in. Now since I was able to purchase 30 more shares of Super League Gaming, I now have a total of 50 in this Apes portfolio. And because this time I bought at a lower price than what I initially bought at, which was about $3.25, my average cost basis for the 50 shares is actually going to be $2.64. 
And then the final stock I have to bring up in this Apes Portfolio update is the ADGI stock. Because I don't believe in the last episode I mentioned it in my portfolio review. So I just wanted to briefly mention that I have 5 shares of those at a total valuation of $9.84. That was that one stock if you remember before I went on my little break. That had a huge fall off because the antibodies were ineffective to the Omicron variant on one test. And then the second test came back saying that it was okay. And now with that said, you should be all caught up for this APES portfolio. So now let me dive into the loop ring protocol I was experimenting with over the weekend. Because I was able to connect myself a blockchain wallet to loop rings actual server, but I haven't deposited any cryptos yet, so I haven't activated the layer 2 system. And while I'm on the subject of layers, let me try and describe the layer 1 and layer 2 system at least the best way I can. Because I did a quick google search to see what the difference is between them and I read a couple articles, and let me tell you, it's more complicated to explain than I could even try. But to some small degree from reading these articles, I at least conceptually can visualize it. And the only really good explanation I can try and give to you right now is that, at least in terms of cryptocurrency, the layer 1 system is an underlying main blockchain architecture for the project itself. And most of these layer 1 systems are going to be Bitcoin and Ethereum because they're the main core providers. And then your layer 2 system is going to be any overlaying network that lies on top of the blockchain's first primary architecture, if you will. And I can't explain it the best, but I know I watched a YouTube video a while ago and someone explained it where they said it's like layer 1 is having your actual iPhone, the hardware device, and all this shit, right? The computer components behind it. And this layer 2 system is all the apps that you can actually put on the phone itself. So the apps are only useful because they have that layer 1 system to interact with it. So now I hope you have a little bit more of an understanding at least what layer 1 and layer 2 is in the crypto world. Because layer 1 and layer 2 is actually a thing that's in computer science I believe. Because this thing also happened with the internet. Just think about the internet for example. There's an actual computer science thing happening behind this shit. And then you've got all these programs and softwares being computed on it. Those softwares is what's considered layer 2 or maybe even possibly layer 3. And the layer 2 system I was trying to connect to over the weekend was Looprings trading platform interface. So let me tell you some of the key things you'll need if you actually want to trade off of Looprings layer 2 system. And one of the first steps is to have a blockchain wallet that you can connect to Loopring itself. Now Metamask is one of the most preferred options that you can use to connect the Loopring wallet. But Loopring also offers you a second option to connect let's say another wallet if you have all the details to it. What I did just to make the onboarding process a little bit more simple is I created a MetaMask account. Now what MetaMask is, is it's just a Google extension to create a blockchain wallet for you. You can create an Ethereum wallet if you want. You can create any kind of wallet that you want. You just have to look it up on how to connect it to Loopring's interface. And then to make things a little simple, since MetaMask seems to be the popular option in connecting a wallet to Loopring, I've decided to go that route. And since I use Google Chrome, I didn't have to download an app, instead I just added the extension to Google Chrome. If you don't use Google Chrome, you're most likely going to have to download the app version of it, and then you can still use it that way on your computer. Creating a MetaMask wallet is actually really easy, but you're going to be getting something called a recovery phase. Make sure you never lose this. This recovery phase is very, very important for you. Because think of it like this. This wallet you're making in MetaMask is where you're going to be having your bank account. This is your checking account. 
and it's all going to be for your crypto stuff. And if you're not someone who's really experienced in crypto, you're probably not going to be having a lot of wallets scattered around to diversify your options. So most likely, you're only going to have one wallet. That means if you have all of your assets in one wallet, and you forget your recovery phase, and you have to log in and it asks you for your recovery phase, you are absolutely effed. Because what this recovery phase is, is 12 randomly generated words for you, and you're going to have to put them in a correct sequential order. And, you know, there's a lot of words out there in the world. But luckily for you, if you're able to keep storage of this recovery phase and keep a good track of your password, it's going to be really hard for someone to hack into and gain access to any of your crypto stuff. The only way I could possibly see them gaining access to it is if they find a way to scam you. If they find a way to get you to send your crypto assets to them. Because as soon as you send assets from your wallet to another, there are zero guarantees unless you're able to create a smart contract and then it gets kicked back to you. There are zero guarantees that your money is going to come back. But at the same time, you're in full control of this. So that at least can put your mind at ease when it comes to putting a lot of money into crypto. Because it's going to be really hard for someone else to gain access to it and a lot of people have actually lost their recovery phases, which means their crypto and money is now just sitting on a blockchain somewhere out there. So now let me steer you back to the Loopring protocol and why I was talking about crypto wallets in the first place. Because after you're done creating your MetaMask account, which is essentially just giving you a blockchain wallet, then you're able to link this MetaMask account to Loopring. And once you do that, all you have to do next is deposit an actual crypto into Loopring to activate the layer 2 system. And over the weekend, this is as far as I got in the steps for onboarding onto Loopring system. My plan is going to be to deposit the cryptos into Loopring system using this MetaMask wallet I created with Google's extension because then I'm going to be activating my layer 2 system on my MetaMask wallet. So now I'm going to try to explain what this means, at least based off of the two days of information I gathered. So for this next minute or two, try and bear with me, because if some of the stuff I say don't necessarily make sense, in my brain it does, and I'm just not really the best at reiterating it. So before I explain why activating Loopring's Layer 2 protocol system on MetaMask Wallet will be helpful for gas fee reduction, let me quickly explain what MetaMask product is. Because MetaMask is a blockchain wallet, but the blockchains it creates is actually using Ethereum's platform. So this means that when you make transactional trades, send crypto, or receive crypto, you're most likely going to be charged a gas fee because you're using Ethereum's Layer 1 platform. This is where Loopring comes in. Because Loopring is using Ethereum as a Layer 1 base, but Loopring itself is a Layer 2 system, it's able to communicate with this MetaMask wallet created. And because of this, you're able to link your MetaMask wallet to Loopring. And when you make that first deposit into Loopring's system using your MetaMask wallet or whatever wallet you use to connect to it, you're going to be activating your Layer 2 system. I haven't done that yet, but what this means is I need to take Ethereum, Bitcoin, or whatever coin out there, and I need to deposit that into Loopring. Once I do that, I'm going to be activating the Layer 2 system on my MetaMask wallet for that coin. Let me reiterate, for that coin. So what this means is that I need to do this for every single coin one time at least in order to activate the layer 2 system for those coins, I think. I'll definitely be experimenting it this week and I'll back up my statement later on. 
But the reason I bring up that you have to do this at least one time is because there's going to be an initial fee when you do this. And the reason there's this initial fee is because technically you're trading on a layer one system when you're depositing that money into Loopring. So your first trade technically when you deposit your crypto into Loopring is actually on a layer one system. But once you deposit that crypto, it turns into layer two. So because you're trading on that layer one system for the very first deposit, that's why you're getting charged the gas fee. From there on out, technically you shouldn't be getting any more gas fees or it should be super, super minimal compared to what it used to be on layer one system. And I'm gonna be messing around and dabbling in it over this week. And by the next episode, I hope to at least have an update for you. What my goal is, if this works, is to transfer all of my coins from Coinbase to Looprings layer two system if this happens. The way I'll be able to do this is by going on my Coinbase wallet and I'll be able to send my coins. What Coinbase will then ask me is to input the wallet address. And then all I have to do is look at my MetaMask wallet address I created and input all of the information there. Be very, very careful when you're inputting address wallet information if you can't just copy the clipboard and paste it over. Because if the wallet address isn't copied exactly, then the cryptos won't transfer. And the worst case scenario that could happen is let's say you input someone else's crypto address and when you hit send, they somehow are active on their wallet and hit receive or accept, you would actually be very screwed then because then you would have essentially given your money to someone else by accident. And there's almost no way you can ask for it back unless they were nice enough to send it back. But so far, over the research I've done this weekend, I'm pretty thrilled to try out Loopring system, at least to trade cryptos. It looks like it's pretty interesting, and they have a pretty nice variety of cryptos you can trade. It doesn't have Doge, unfortunately, yet, but it still has a lot of other cryptos you can trade. And I'll quickly show you how in the crypto world, just because you don't have access for one coin via one way, there's always another way to get coins and then send them to your cold hard wallet. But for this Apes portfolio, the MetaMask wallet is going to be my crypto wallet. And I'm hoping that Loopring's layer 2 interface is going to be my trading system, which will be taking over Coinbase's role for this portfolio. Now the next topic I wanted to get into is the watch list I have created for this Apes portfolio, which I'll be adding and subtracting stocks as I go along. But for now, I wanted to give you a quick overview of every company I have on my watch list and some dumb and not so dumb reasons I have them on there. So I'll quickly run through the watch list right now, and then I'll go back and talk about each one individually afterwards. Starting off with Coca-Cola, which right now is trading at about $60.30. They have a market cap of $260 billion, and their company is primarily a non-alcoholic beverage company, and they sell more than just Coca-Cola. The next company I have on this watch list is Starbucks, and they're trading at about $107.50. Their market cap is $126.2 billion. They specialize in the production, marketing, and retailing of coffee and coffee products. Moving on to the next stock, I have McDonald's, which is trading at about $267. Their market cap is at $199.56 billion. And what they primarily do is the operations and franchising of restaurants. In terms of my watch list, those three would be considered my blue chippers and the ones that are going to be most reliable and at least have some slow and steady growth in the future. The next stocks I'll be moving on to are going to be more mid-sized cap ones. And I'll be starting off with Spotify. 
Spotify right now is trading at about $223, and their market cap is about $47.6 billion. They provide digital music and audio services. Another company that provides services is Roku TV, and they're trading at about $179, and their market cap is at $24.2 billion. They're essentially a streaming platform for TV, and they also offer their own brand of TVs. The next TV line I want to get into that's on my watch list is Fubo TV, and they're trading at $13.95 with the market cap of $2.1 billion. They're another digital entertainer that focuses on live TV through their brand of Fubo TV. And then the last service provider I have on my watch list is Chegg, and they're trading at about $29.55 with a market cap of $4.2 billion and they're just a learning platform service for school and students and anyone that wants to use them. So those stocks I essentially listed out are gonna be mid-sized cap companies and some might even be considered small caps, but all of them are service-related industries and I have them on this watch list for a reason. The last stock I have on this watch list for absolutely no reason is the stock Naked and it's trading at about, and it's trading at about $4 right now. Their market cap is by far the lowest on my watch list at $270 million. And because they recently had a merger with an EV company last year, they are considered an EV tech company with validated commercial vehicles. So that was the rundown of my watch list and some of the numbers behind it and also the quick overview of what the company is. Now let me give you some insight into why I actually have these on my watch list. And I'll start with my blue chippers. Let me start off with Coca-Cola because that's the first stock I ever bought. So it's on my list because of Warren Buffett. And I'm not gonna lie, it's also on my list because when I originally wanted to start investing, I planned on doing a dividend investing approach. And because Coca-Cola is the king of dividends and they seem to always have paid them out, they were the number one company on my list when I was looking for dividend companies. Not only that, but everyone knows Coca-Cola and it's going to be really hard to put a company that has a really good beverage out of business. The only thing that you could really argue is that they've got competition with Pepsi-Cola, so they're always going to be splitting the market share in that respect. But aside from that, they're still a really reliable company and they always pay out their dividends. My next blue chipper on my watch list is McDonald's. And aside from just knowing that America is full of fat asses that are always going to be eating McDonald's, I really like this company because they've got a certain moat behind them. McDonald's no longer has to survive on just the operations of their restaurants. They are fully now known as a franchising company and probably even landlords because they buy out most of the land if it's successful areas via these franchises. So what this means is when they set up these franchises, if they notice that there's success in that area, they try and buy the plot of land the franchise is on. This way, if McDonald's ever chooses to leave the area, they can sell off that land and make a killing. So they've got a secret moat behind them, and this is why I like them, aside from the fact that they feed most of the obesity in America. And they got some pretty killer fries. And my final blue chipper is going to be Starbucks. And that's because not only one that I work for the company and I know the ins and outs, but two, it's another one of those companies that has constant drug addicts. That's right, you're addicted to caffeine, so you're always going to have reoccurring customers. And that's perfect for a business model. And from having insider knowledge and just working there, I can tell you this. One, 
Try to never work at Starbucks unless you have to to get yourself through college or anything like this, because the benefits are not worth it and you'll quickly realize how caffeine depraved people can really turn into cokeheads. Another thing you quickly realize is how corporations are run, because, well, you understand you're at the very bottom of the whole pyramid, and while you get all the shit, the company makes all the great profits in the end. Because I know when I started my career at Starbucks around 2016 in high school, the share price was about 30 or $40. And right now, six years after, it's at $107. So that's a crazy jump. Now, if I were to put the actual jump in stock price and divide it by six, what that would get you is the average return every single year expected. If I were to take all of the employees' paychecks and take all of their raises, do you think the average increase is anywhere near the stock price? Fuck no. And I know that from first-hand experience of actually working there. And they can try and entice you with all these benefits and stuff, but at the end of the day, all you're gonna gain from it is a caffeine addiction and becoming slightly fat from eating all of their shitty food. But what really makes that place is the people. And it's the atmosphere that Starbucks tries to create. And I learned this from being a barista. Because any place can serve shit food and caffeinated beverages. But it's hard to get a place to serve that stuff and get the employees to put a smile on their face. Now, I don't know how Starbucks is still able to keep this going, but they do have a pretty high turnover rate for a reason. What I can say is from all the bashing it seems like I'm doing on Starbucks, it's only because I've worked there as a barista and I know what it's like from the barista side. So I guess you could just view any negative thing I ever say about Starbucks as me just venting out. Because as a business, they're a really good one. And while I was on my way out the door once I landed my first full-time gig, I started seeing some changes happening around because there's a new CEO that started taking place and his name is Kevin Johnson. Now normally I don't care too much about CEOs, unless it's the CEO of GameStop, baby. But I remember hearing that we had a new CEO while I was working and I quickly looked him up just out of curiosity. One thing I quickly realized about Kevin Johnson is he was a huge tech guy. And another thing I started noticing while I was working at Starbucks is there were significantly small changes happening, but it all started making sense. Because what I realized is he was now trying to find a way to revamp Starbucks to obviously boost their share price. What was one of the first things I heard him do as CEO? I heard that Starbucks sold a skeleton version of their mobile order services to restaurants. So if you've ever used Starbucks app and mobile ordered on it, what that means is they took the skeleton software version of that, meaning all the input variables that get you to total outcome, and they sold that skeleton software to restaurants. Now immediately because I'm an accounting nerd, I instantly thought, oh my god, that's another revenue service. And on top of that, he literally pulled that out of something Starbucks already had created. So he didn't do anything special. And that's why I think Starbucks is in good hands for the long run. As for working there, well, let's have a chat about that another day. Now the next stocks I have on my watch list are here for a reason, but it's not as inclusive as a reason compared to the last three I just gave you. For example, the only reason I have Roku and Fubo TV is because I think the TV industries still have ways to grow, and I have a Roku TV, so I see the potential in it, and I also have Fubo just because I feel like it's the little brother with a smaller market cap, and at some point he's gonna grow closer to his older brother. Might not ever outgrow him, but at least get close. 
I also have Spotify added to the watch list because even though its high share price is $220, I still think this has potential to grow to about a $1,000 stock. I mean, the more people uploading podcasts and music and everything that gets launched onto this service, the more money Spotify makes. So even though my podcast isn't necessarily collecting money because I'm never going to be running any advertisements or any company streams like that, so Spotify won't be making secondary money this way, they still are going to be making off of anyone else that chooses to make money off of podcasts. And since they're a service provider, metrically, the only thing that really matters to them is the user increase. So if more people start using Spotify to listen to music and podcasts, the better for them. And I think that's going to be growing in the future, which is why I have them on my list. And then the last service industry stock I have on my list is Chegg. And the reason I have Chegg on my list, aside from that dramatic 50% fall because of this Omicron variant and what it's done to the school system, I still think there's a lot of room for Chegg to grow. I mean, after all, I use it to get my bachelor's degree. So if I use it to get a piece of paper that gets me a full-time job, I'm sure it still has a heavy use out there in the world. And it's only valued at about $30 a pop right now. And then for memes, the last stock I have on this watch list actually has a little bit of a backstory. And until today, I didn't actually think about this stock having potential. And I'll quickly touch upon this small little bit of potential it has. But first, let me get into my meme story. And it was actually last year during the famous month of January 2021. If you talk to anyone invested in the stock world, and ask them what happened January 2021, they're gonna say with GameStop, but someone who really invests could say anything because so many stocks were skyrocketing and soaring, there were a lot of people that probably made a shit ton of money that one month if they were day traders or swing traders. Now what happened months ensuing after? I don't know, Is up to them. But back to my story and why I have Naked on my watch list. And the stock ticker for this is NAKD. Now back in January 2021, Naked was a penny stock, and it was as low as 7 cents at one point. Now the 7 cents, I can't remember if it was in January or if it was the month before in December, but at one point, Naked was 7 cents. And I remember when I used to trade it around the 50 cents, 60 cent mark. So when I saw it bounce back from 7 cents to the 20 cent mark, I instantly thought, okay, maybe it's starting a bull run. So let's buy 500 shares of this. So I wound up buying about 500 shares of Naked throughout an average cost of about 30 something cents because I bought around 20 cents at the lowest point and around 40 something cents at the highest point. Then Wall Street bets happened. Because that famous week that GameStop squeezed, my little Naked stock also squeezed. And the 500 shares I had at an average share price of 30 something cents well, that was soon to be something beautiful. Because for the next three days, I saw my stock soar from 40 cents to about a dollar by the end of the day. And then the next day, it went from a dollar to two dollars and something cents. And then that famous infamous day the buy button got shut off on a lot of stocks, Naked went from two dollars and something cents to three dollars and 40 cents. Now, I'm going to let you know what happened in the long run. I wound up being dumb and not selling on this bull run because I just got in the Wall Street bets mentality and said hold until the moon or die. And I wound up actually making 2x my money. But let me tell you, 
At one point, the 500 shares I was holding were giving me an unrealized gain value of $1,500. I only ever spent about $250 on this play, and if I hit sell all at the top, had I known it was the top obviously because emotions get in the way when you trade this way, I would have netted $1,500. I would have made over a grand just placing a $200 bet. I'm gonna tell you that week was exhilarating, and I'm kinda glad I didn't sell because I learned a lesson in the way, but that's why I have this stock on my list, because it has a little bit of sentimental value, and I have a fun little story that goes with it. But now for the slightly serious reason. And it's only slightly serious because I'm not going to tell you to put your money into this. this. This stock might actually plummet to the ground and eventually go bankrupt, to be honest with you. But back in November of 2021, which is only a couple months ago, they merged with an EV tech company. And I know this because, well, I got screwed in the reverse stock split they did. You see, before this, I believe Naked was some kind of makeup manufacturing company, and they have a lot of storage facilities. Now, when I bought Naked at the 20 cent mark, I thought they were the Naked Juice. So you can see how funny it is that this stock is even on a watch list, especially when the other stocks on this list are Coca-Cola, Starbucks, Spotify, and actual real names. I've got just a fun little meme stock, which initially started because I thought it was a juice. But what happened when Naked merged with this EV tech company, which their name was Centro Anta, and it's a European EV manufacturer, is they did a 15 to 1 reverse split. What this means is for every 15 shares of Naked you had, they reversed it to one share. Now before you get all high and mighty and start saying, wow, that sounds super dumb, why would that ever happen? Just stick around or skip through to the end of my learning section because I'll be talking about stock splits and reversals later. But this merger with this EV company in Europe really shows me that Naked is trying to rebrand themselves and at least become some kind of EV manufacturer provider. I don't know if they've got the facility powers maybe so they can start contractually working in them and build these EVs or what their plan is. All I know is that the company they merged with in Europe is actually a pretty successful company when it comes to EVs. So that's the only light I can take away from this. From a company I first thought was a juice company is now a European EV manufacturing company. So now I'm hoping that by giving you some insight on my watch list, you can start at least getting an idea for how I see the markets or what my tastes are as like an investor. You can see that I can be all over the place. I can make logical plays and I can also make super speculative plays. But that's what's fun with investing. You can make money both ways. You can also lose money with both ways. And now before I wrap up the investing segment, I want to talk about some plays I have my eye on for this upcoming week on the Apes portfolio. And one of the plays will be a company I've talked about, while another one won't be, but I'll tell you why I'm making this play. So for starters, let me start off by letting you know I've got about $170 left to play within my TD Ameritrade account. Knowing this information, I've decided to go back to my fun little naked play, and my plan will be to buy 11 shares or spend about $55 max this week. The other play I have in my mind is a stock that goes by the ticker of COSS. That's K-O-S-S. And it's trading right now at about $10.47. My plan with this is to buy 6 shares 
or a maximum of $80 worth this week. So I won't get too much into why I want to buy the Naked Company because I just kind of talked about it and gave you my story and the transformation that they're going through. So I want to see if I can get a little bit of piece of the action in this. But for the cosplay, I should definitely let you know why I'm buying this. Because right now is January of 2022. More specifically, it's the 10th. But it's almost the one year anniversary of all this meme BS. And a lot of these stocks skyrocketed a year from about two weeks from now. And I know that just came off weird. But January of 28th, which is in about 18 days from now, is going to be the one-year anniversary of when Robinhood and some other brokers decided to cheat retail traders and cut off the buy button. And the reason I'm getting costs is because I have the memory of an elephant. And I remember that aside from GameStop being one of the stocks that went from a very low value to a super high value, cost was also one that went under the radar. Because if you look at Koss's all-time high, they hit a share price of $120. And if you look at what they've been trading at for the whole year, you would question and ask yourself, how in the hell did they hit that? So my only plan with this stock is basically to buy it because of the one year anniversary and my whole premise that if all of these stocks decide to moon again at some point, and cost does too, cost was number two to GameStop in terms of volatility. Aside from that, I know absolutely nothing about costs. So while I might say stay away, I would tell you if you're a degenerate or have at least some money to throw it this way and you don't mind losing money, definitely throw your money this way because it's going to be the one year anniversary that cost went from something like 5 or $10 to $120. So if history can repeat itself, it'd be very great if I caught it live on this podcast. And what my plan is for both of these two stocks is to buy them on Wednesday. This gives you as a user plenty of time to make a decision. And also for the future, it'll show you how I make my trades. Because I'll make a trade call on today is Monday, and I'll give at least two days for someone to think and maybe even do the research they need before they follow in my footsteps. Because my plan is going to be to execute this trade on a Wednesday, since it's the day before my next episode plays. And what my plan is, will be to buy six shares of costs Wednesday morning, Unless for whatever reason the share price makes it go over $80, then I'm only going to spend $80 max. And I'm also going to be putting in an order to buy 11 shares of Naked. Unless, again for whatever reason, the share price jumps. And then in that case, I'm only going to be spending $55 max. So Wednesday morning, as soon as the market opens, I'll be placing in my trade. And the most I'll be spending is $135 out of my $170 left of cash. So my homework for next episode is not only going to be to buy 11 shares of Naked and 6 shares of Cost, but also to deposit crypto coins into Looprings interface so I can start activating the Layer 2 feature. And by doing this, I'll be able to walk you through what I've done so that if you're curious about onboarding to Loopring as well, then at least you have a voice to walk you through it. And if you're skeptical about all of it, then I just say you wait and see how I do all in all of this. Because I'll definitely be flinging my money around to see how things are working and what things aren't. So that's going to put a wrap on the investing segment for today. And until next time, ape out.
welcome back my degenerates and anyone that just likes to listen to this part of the sports gambling segment. On today's gambling segment, I'm going to quickly recap my weekend picks and let you know which parlays won and which ones were close to hitting. I'm going to dive into some basketball and soccer picks I have on mind. So without wasting any more time, let's get right into it. Starting with the first parlay I had created, which was the Saints to win by 5 and the Rams to win by 5. I put $10 on that, and while the Saints were able to pull off their end of the bargain, the Rams unfortunately choked a 17-point lead at some point, and they wound up losing in overtime to the Niners. This isn't too bad though, because the Niners now punched their playoff ticket. My next parlay I want to talk about is a banger, because it was the splits parlay I chose. And this was the parlay I said that on paper shouldn't hit, but the games have to be played so you never know. And which was that? It was a splits parlay of the Jags money line with the Ravens money line, and then I had a separate one of the Jags money line with the Steelers. So as long as the Jags beat the Colts in a huge upset fashion, I would have won money on this parlay, because I split $5 on each parlay. And the Jacksonville Jaguars surprised the Colts. I mean, they absolutely pounded them. The Colts didn't score their final touchdown until garbage time. So for the longest time, the Jags were pretty much pitching out almost a shutout. So I guess this makes it another consecutive year the Colts aren't able to beat the Jags in Jacksonville. I'll be sure to put this down in my calendar to bet it next year in the NFL so that when the Colts visit the Jags, I'm going to put my life savings on them. But that's not what's the coolest thing about this bet. It's not that crazy upset win. It's the fact that a $5 bet which really, if you want to think about it, is a $10 bet because I know one of these bets will lose. A $10 risk play won me $115 because the Steelers were also underdogs in their game and they won in overtime. So in theory on paper, my $5 bet for that parlay won me $115. But then I also risked $5 on the off chance the Ravens were to win, so you can technically say I risked $10 instead of 5 Still. That's a really nice jump, and it partly covers some of the losses I have on all of my other parlays. And the final bet I had created was the Raiders' money line for Sunday Night Football. And right now while I'm recording, there's still 8 minutes left in the 4th, but the score is 29-14 to 14 Raiders, so I'm going to hate myself if this doesn't come out, but I'm going to chalk this as a win. Yes, I said it. So we're going to call this a win. And I risked $25 on this and wound up winning 35 now the next bet slip I want to get into is the underdog round robins bet slip I created and unfortunately I happen to have chosen the wrong underdogs for this slip because I had the Eagles, Bears, Giants, Bengals, and Falcons in it and they were all the underdogs that lost. My only underdogs that won this parlay were the Steelers, Dolphins, and Niners. And since on this round robin I risked a total of $56 via the $2 per parlay I wound up losing $2.50, so at least I didn't lose a whole lot of money while only going 3 for 8 in my picks. Now are you ready for a pretty big sad moment? Because I had my NFL teaser, and it wasn't one of those 10 team pick teasers, instead it was a 7 pick teaser, and I only had one team blow it for me. That team was the Tennessee Titans to win by at least 4.5 to the Texans, and they were up big at one point. I think they were up 20 at some point, and the Texans wound up making a comeback 
But the Titans were still able to win. They only won by 3 though. I needed them to win by at least 5. So unfortunately, they're the only team in my teaser that didn't win. You want to hear the other games in my teaser? I had the Chiefs to win by at least 4. So the Chiefs winning by just 4 means they just covered that spread. I also had the Jaguars to cover a plus 21.5 point spread, and they essentially beat the Colts by 21.5 points. Then I had the Cowboys to win by at least one, and well, that's technically easy money against my Eagles who had backups. I also had the Niners to cover a plus 10.5 point spread, and they wound up winning, so obviously they covered. I had the Bucks to win by at least two, and then the Steelers had to cover a plus 11.5 point spread. So all the teams I just listed covered, and the Titans, by blowing this 20-point lead, actually lost me $80 on this teaser. I'm not too bummed, but it is a little bit upsetting. So overall, this was a pretty good betting weekend, because we had our $115 hit parlay, and I had the round robin that just barely lost me money, and the Raiders single pick money line that's going to win me Sunday night football. So I definitely netted positive which is why there's no reason to complain about the money we made, because I've clearly showed you how I can lose money in this segment. And now, let's try and run it back and make some more money with some picks on today's NBA games, some picks I have for tomorrow, and for Wednesday's games as well. Starting off with today's games, I'm not really going to be choosing any specific team. Instead, I'll pick a theme. And the theme I want to pick is an underdog Moneyline theme. So today there's going to be 7 games played, and I'm going to be picking the underdog in every single game. Now, I'm looking at the slates, and I don't think there's any close matchups, so I don't think there's going to be any situation where there's a pick'em. But in case there's a situation where each team is matched up evenly, I'm going to be picking the away side. So the matchups we have are going to be the Jazz at the Pistons, and I figured the Pistons are going to be the underdogs, the Bucks at the Hornets, I think the Hornets will be underdogs, the Spurs are visiting the Knicks, and I think the Spurs will be the underdogs. The Pacers are visiting the Celtics, and I'm pretty sure the Pacers should be the underdogs. The Sixers are visiting the Rockets, and I see the Rockets being the underdogs, which will kind of suck because I don't want to pick against the Sixers, but I will for the podcast. Then we have the Cavs visiting the Kings. This is actually going to be close. I think the Kings are going to be underdogs because the Cavs have been playing pretty well. And then we also have the Nets visiting the Trailblazers and I think the Blazers are going to be underdogs. So based off all of those picks, I would have the Pistons, Hornets, Spurs, Pacers, Rockets, Kings, and Blazers in my round robin. This isn't official though, because I'm not sure what the underdog teams are yet. But for all of these matchups, I'll be choosing the underdogs, and I'll make a round robin slate for it, and I'll put $2 on each parlay. So I'll be risking 42 total dollars on my round robin slate of underdogs for today's NBA games. My picks for Tuesday and Wednesday are going to be a lot easier to follow. Because tomorrow, I'm going to be choosing the Warriors spread and the Suns spread combined. That's just going to be a two-team parlay, and I'm going to be putting a $20 bet slip on that. So I'm going to be choosing whatever the Warriors spread is, and then whatever the Suns spread is. If they hit their spreads then whatever $20 risk on that bet slip is, is going to be my payout. Then, because I'm a European boy, I wanted to add some soccer to the mix, and I found some soccer matches. And they're going to be coming from the Premier League. Now, one of the games is going to be played tomorrow, and another game is going to be played on Wednesday. So I'm going to be making a two-team parlay of these, and what I'm going to be doing 
is in the Southampton and Brentford game. I'm going to be choosing Southampton's money line, and they're your favorite to win. And then on Wednesday, we have Norwich City playing West Ham. What I'll be doing is I'll choose West Ham's spread, because they're favored to win by at least two goals. So I'll be pairing that with Southampton's money line. I'll be putting $15.15 on this bet slip. So for Wednesday, I have $20 on my NBA bet, which is the Warriors and Suns to cover their spreads. And then I'm also risking $15 on Southampton to win and West Ham to win by at least two goals on Wednesday. Now my selections for Wednesday are going to be simple, but I'm going to be making four separate two-team parlays. And the way I'm going to be making these picks is the team I tell you, I'm either going to be picking the spread unless they're an underdog by Wednesday. Keep in mind, I'm telling you my picks on a Sunday night, so I have zero clue what's to come, especially with all this COVID stuff. So a team might be an underdog, even if it seems like they won't be right now. Nonetheless, my plan is to put $10 risk on every single two-team parlay I create. So the first parlay I'll be combining is the Sixers and Heat. So I'll be choosing the Sixers spread unless they're an underdog, and the same thing with the Heat. And the same is going to be going on for the rest of these, so now I'll just be letting you know the teams that are associated with each parlay. The second parlay I have is the Kings and Bulls. The third parlay I'll be creating will be the Bulls and the Knicks. So I have the Bulls in two parlays. This means if the Bulls lose or don't cover their spread, unfortunately these two straight up lose. But my last parlay I have created is going to be the Jazz and Celtics. So for all of these, I'll be choosing the spread or the underdog. Now to quickly recap all of the picks I just gave you, for today's NBA slates, I'm going to be making a round robin of all seven games, and I'm going to be choosing the underdog for every single one, no matter how heavy of an underdog they are. Then on Tuesday, I'm going to be combining the Warriors and Suns to at least cover their spreads, and I'll be risking $20 on that. I'm also going to be mixing a soccer parlay of Southampton to win and West Ham to win by at least two. I'll be putting $15.15 on that. For Wednesday's picks, I'm going to be choosing the spread unless the team is an underdog. And my first parlay I have is the Sixers and Heat. The second one is Kings and Bulls. The third one is the Bulls and the Knicks. And the fourth one is the Jazz and the Celtics. I'll be risking $10 on all of those parlays. In total, I'll be risking about $117 in gambling over the next three days. So let's see what happens and I'll recap all of my picks on the next episode. And now whether you decide to fade or follow all of my picks, I hope you find a way to make money. And until next time you degenerates, ape out. Welcome back class. Today is going to be an exciting lesson on stock splits, stock reversals, and dividends. By the end of the episode, you'll have a better understanding of how the shareholders equity department works on a company. And next time you read an article about a stock split or a stock reversal, you'll be able to explain it to your friend in a very simple way and they'll look at you like you're the smartest person ever. Not only that, but I'll also be giving you a quick lesson on dividends and what originally made me want to get into investing. That is until I found out that you can make a lot more money being speculative. So now without further ado, let's dive straight into the lesson plan. And before I start talking about stock splits, stock reversals, and even dividends, 
I wanted to do a quick review on what the market caps are because the market cap is going to be a huge significance in today's lesson. So a market cap is the shares a company has outstanding multiplied by the share price. And I know it's very basic and generic, but today I'll show you how stock splits and stock reversals can actually affect the shares outstanding and share price without affecting the market cap. Now another thing you'll need to know before I dive into the lesson is how companies issue stock. Because if a company wants to issue stock, and companies can do this even if they're already publicly listed, what they need to do is they need to go to an investment bank, and what that investment bank does is they underwrite these stocks to sell to the public. What this means is they buy these shares from the company and they sell it out to the market. So a good example would be if let's say AMC or Starbucks were to offer a share issuance and they decided that they want to add 1 million to this shares outstanding for their market cap. What they would have to do is they would have to sell whatever number they want, 1 million in this situation, to an investment bank and they would set a par value for that stock price. Now the investment bank is going to buy these and they're going to sell it off to the market. And by doing so, the actual company is going to be able to collect cash proceeds and capital for issuing more shares to the market and the investment banks are also going to get their little piece of the action for doing this. So now that I've given a quick review on market caps and how companies can issue shares to the public, let me dive into stock splits and reversals. And the main reason that companies do this is it's a way for a company to issue additional shares or reduce the shares from the stockholders. It also enables them to, in a way, manipulate the price on the screen. Now I say the word manipulate and I'm going to be saying it a lot because I don't want a negative connotation to be associated to this. Manipulation doesn't always have to be a bad thing. And you're about to find out with stock splits and reversals what I mean by that. And now let me start off with what a forward stock split is. A forward stock split essentially increases the shares the shareholders have and it reduces the share price. And typically the way it's addressed in the articles or news headlines is such and such company has a 5 to 1, 10 to 1, 2 to 1 stock split. What that means is that for every one share a shareholder owns, they now receive whatever number the company decides to put in front of that stock split number. So if it's 2 to 1, that means for every one share you have in that company, you get 2. Now why would a company do this? Because all this does is it reduces the share price on the screen in the market, but it does not touch the market cap at all. What a stock split does is it touches the shares outstanding and the share price, but it changes them in a reflective manner so that the market cap never gets affected. And let me use Tesla as a perfect example for this. So Tesla did a 5 to 1 stock split a year and a half ago back in August of 2020. They did the stock split when their share price was roughly at around $2,000. Now I'm not 100% sure what their market cap is, so let me just pretend and say it was $1 trillion. I know I have the resources to look it up, but for the quick example, I don't really care to. So when Tesla offered this 5 to 1 stock split, what this meant is for every one share a Tesla owner had, they would now get five shares for it. 
so if you own 10 shares, you now have 50, and so on. What this stock split did is raise the amount of shares outstanding that Tesla has. By doing so, it reflectively changes the share price, because if you were to take this 1 trillion market cap Tesla had, that doesn't change. What changed was the shares outstanding. So now it changed by 5 times, meaning the share price would also fall by 5 times. And that's exactly what it did. Tesla's share price went from about $2,000 to roughly 400 something. And Tesla holders that had stock in Tesla before got 5 shares for every one. So let's say you had one share of Tesla and Tesla decided to do the stock split and you held. This means you now have 5 shares. And if I use my example of $2,000 for one share or the 5 shares you would have which are now valued at $400, the total valuation is the same. The only difference, you now have more shares. And if the stock continues to go up in the future, this stock split helped you so much as an investor because you essentially gained four free shares. And the way Tesla is going right now, if it reaches $2,000 again, well, anyone that held from this stock split to the next time Tesla reaches 2K, if it does, will literally love Elon Musk. So now why would a company do this aside from just giving their shareholders more shares? Well, it provides more access to future potential buyers in the market. Because if you think about it, how many potential buyers are there out there in the market if Tesla's stock price is over $2,000? Versus how many potential buyers are there going to be out there if Tesla's stock price is $400? So these stock splits can actually help companies reach more potential buyers and reach a more diversified crowd for their investing. Because if you think about it, the higher share prices go, it's more likely set for a class of rich and elitists. But the lower the share price is, which I know $1,000 isn't low for Tesla, but would you be willing to spend $10,000 for Tesla right now? Because if Tesla never does stock splits, they're probably valued between ten dollars and $20,000. And if you wanted to know what Tesla's valuation is right now had they never done that stock split, just take the share price they have, multiply it by 5, because they did this 5 to 1 stock split, and that's what the share price would have been had Tesla never done this 5 to 1 stock split in August of 2020. Then ask yourself, would you be willing to pay that for one share? Most likely not, unless you're rich. So that's why stock splits are done, to give access to more buyers and for other various reasons companies might choose to do so. Maybe they want to reward loyal holders and give them more shares. After all, imagine someone having 100 shares. You now have 500. But just like there's a stock split, there's something called a stock reversal. And I got hit hard with this in terms of my naked stock. Because in my personal account, I had 100 shares of Naked, and then one day when I checked my portfolio, because I don't always keep up with news as I should, I saw I had 6 shares, and I almost dropped my phone and thought, where the hell did 94 shares go? Until I did some quick research and realized there was a 15 to 1 reverse split, which means for every 15 shares I had, I would now get 1. And what this did is, well... It increased the share price, but it reduced the shares outstanding of the naked company. So just like in my Tesla example, you take the market cap and you would divide it by the shares outstanding, 
when there was a stock split done, a 5 to 1 stock split, your shares outstanding grew. So that's why when you divide the market cap by the larger share price, you have a lower price per share for the actual stock. But when you do a reverse split, since for every 15 shares you're now making 1, you're actually making the denominator, which is your shares outstanding, smaller. So what that does is it makes your share price larger. Hence in point for my example, I had 100 shares of Naked at about 50 something cents. When they did their 15 to 1 reverse split, the share price went to $5 or $5.50, somewhere in that range. But I now had 6 shares. So my valuation for the stock was roughly the same. What kind of sucked, when I did 100 divided by 15, I actually got 6.667 or something like that. So I'm like, why didn't you round up to 7 shares, my guy? And now you might ask the same question, why would a company do this? Because this feels like they're taking from their shareholders. And I'm going to tell you right now, from being a victim, and I can't call myself a victim because most of these reversals are done by penny stocks, from being a hard victim of two stock reversals in my life, I can tell you it feels like the company is stealing from me. Because I invest my hard-earned money in these penny stocks on the basis that every time it moves up one penny, I either lose $100 or gain $100. I don't want to have less shares. I live for the volatility, so stop taking away my shares. But on a more serious note, the reason companies will do these reversal stock splits is to avoid being delisted from the exchange. It also reduces the shares outstanding in the company, so if there is chance for the company to grow, then it helps out in that case. But if the company doesn't grow, then doing a reversal can actually hurt because if the company keeps going down in price, well then it kind of defeats the whole purpose of doing the reversal in the first place. But what I said earlier is that a company does this to avoid being delisted on an exchange. And that's because certain exchanges have rules for how low a company or stock can trade before getting delisted and for how long. So let's say the rule is a company can't trade for under, I don't know, $1.50 for more than two quarters. Then if a company is trading for under $1.50 for two quarters, by the third quarter they would get delisted. Well, what would they do? They would perform a reversal stock split to make it look like the price is above. And that is why some companies do this. Now, do all companies survive this? No. And I'm not one to do a whole statistical search to find out, but I'm willing to bet if you looked at all the companies that did reverse stock splits and found out how many eventually went bankrupt, well, it's probably a high number. That being said, for my apes portfolio, I'm still buying this naked company because even though they did this reverse split on me, I think if they have potential to flip around this EV company business, then I might be better off in the long run. If not, then I'm just holding shares of a company that's soon to be dead. So that's all stock splits and stock reversals are. It's just changing the amount of shares outstanding, which essentially changes the share price in the company, but it doesn't change the market cap for that company. It will in the future because more people are either more incentivized to buy the stock or not, and it also means there's less or more shares outstanding. Regardless, when you have a forward stock split, like a Tesla 5 to 1 stock split offering, there's an increase in the shares outstanding and a reduction in the price of the stock. 
Whereas when you do a reversal stock split, which is what Naked did, a 15 to 1 reverse split, you have an increase in the share price, but a reduction in the shares outstanding. The market caps for both scenarios stay the same in the short run. In the long run, who knows, because now you've offered a new market for investors. And now before I quickly get into the dividends portion for this lesson, I wanted to quickly touch upon what treasury stock is. Because it's a really important aspect for the shareholders equity, and essentially that's what I'm talking about today. Everything today I'm talking about has to do with shareholders equity. Because if you're holding shares of a company, you're technically part of this group. And what treasury stock is, is it's just when a company buys back its own shares that aren't meant for retirement. This means a company isn't buying its shares and essentially just destroying the shares, which that I don't know if that's necessarily how it works, but it's kind of like slashing the shares outstanding total. If a company doesn't intend to slash the total shares outstanding, which is retiring the shares, then it's called treasury stock when they buy it. And the reason a company might do this is if they want to reissue some of these shares to essential officers within the company or employees or maybe even put it in the stock options plans they have created. So when companies buy back shares off the market, they're essentially doing it for whatever reasons they see fit. But the reason it's important to keep note of the treasury stock a company has is because these shares are almost like blacklisted off the market. They receive zero benefits that you would own had you actually been a shareholder. This means if the company offers a split or dividends, these shares in the treasury department don't get this benefit. The only benefit to having the treasury shares on a company's balance sheet is that it shows you the percentage of ownership that they have off of the market to themselves. So the only reason I think it's important is just because those are shares that are unavailable for the market and it lets you know how much a company is willing to buy back its shares off the market. Aside from that, I can't really tell you much about treasury stock, but I wanted to give you a little bit of scoop of that. And now I'm going to be moving on to dividends. So dividends are pretty self-explanatory, but it's a distribution of assets, which is typically cash or shares of stock from a corporation or company to its stockholders. It's essentially a thank you for holding and investing in us from the actual company itself. And real quick, before I move on, the key word in here is a distribution of assets or shares of stock. So this means the corporation has the ability to give you a form of asset or shares of stock, fractional shares even, as a form of dividend payment for owning at least one share. And most dividends are going to be cash dividends, and it's pretty simple to track. I would highly recommend if you're looking into dividend companies to not only find out what dividend yield they offer, but to find out how consistently they pay out their dividends. A way to do this is to search in DividendKing.com or just look up Dividends.com and then to click one of the first links out there. If you start searching your company or the ticker symbol you have in mind, it's going to show you the history that company has of dividend payments. What I strongly recommend, if you're going to make a portfolio strictly only on dividend receives, then make sure your company has paid dividends at least over the past five years every single quarter if that's what they do. And if they pay it semi-annually, make sure that they do that every single year for at least five years. Now, ideally it's strong to have more than that, like 10 years, 
but I'm still really young, and I don't have time to wait for a company to spend 10 years worth of dividends, especially if they're new ones. So my biggest thing is make sure they have a strong cash balance, are a strong company, and they're not just a startup. Most startups or beginning companies aren't going to be offering dividends because when you pay out dividends to these investors, you're actually getting rid of cash flow and you're hurting yourself as a company in a little way. A nice thing about dividends though is that it keeps shareholders loyalty because most people are going to be holding off on your shares which lets you as a company use the capital your investors gave you initially and hold on to the long run so you know you don't have to give it back via these investment banks or however these companies have their transfer agencies with the stock certificates they own. And one solid investing strategy is something called dividend reinvesting. So what this means is let's say for this apes portfolio, instead of doing all this degenerativeness and super highly speculative plays and stuff like this, I spent $1,000 on one dividend stock company. Aside from that being super boring to talk about on a podcast, the things I would keep track of are how many shares I have and when the next dividend payments are and how much I expect to receive off of those dividend payments. So let's run a quick example and let's pretend that I bought Coca-Cola. Let's say I was able to scalp the price and I was able to get 20 shares and I spent $1,000. That'd be pretty hard to do because I would need to get a share price of about $50. And right now the share price is 60. But for example's sake, let's just say that I have 20 shares of Coca-Cola. What this means is next time Coca-Cola offers their quarterly dividend, which is right now 41 cents, and it consistently has been increasing slowly every single year they've been in existence, or they've been what's known as a continuously increasing dividend. Right now it's 41 cents per share every single quarter. I have 20 shares, so this means that next quarter, I would get $8.20. Now as soon as I would get that $8.20, my plan would be to either save it until I get enough money to buy another share of Coca-Cola, or if my brokerage system offers fractional shares, I would immediately reinvest my $8.42 yeah, $8 into Coca-Cola again. And I would just continuously do this until my dividend payments are no longer $8.42. Eventually, it'll be $84.20. Then it'll be $842. Then $8,420. You see, you just slowly keep reinvesting your dividends until eventually, you're buying full shares every single quarterly payment. Now, this was my big brain plan in investing, and I actually had a pretty solid setup going with just about $1,000. But it was slow work and a slow process. And I don't mind that at all, don't get me wrong. That's actually how I'm going to be living off in the future at some point when I don't want to invest in the market like it's a fun game. But for now, while I'm young, I feel like why not learn the market systems and just play around with them? When you've had your fun and you're ready to retire at least from staring at screens with candlesticks going up and down, green and red, then I'll just do this dividend stuff. Then I'll be able to look at the stars, have my feet in the sand, and enjoy the ocean breeze. Until then, I'm going to enjoy these red tickers and green tickers because I know what's waiting for me at the end of it. And although this dividend reinvesting strategy can be a little bit boring and mundane, I guarantee you it's a heck of a lot better than just putting your money in some kind of savings plan. I mean, just do what Warren Buffett did to gain most of his wealth. Invest in companies 
that pay out dividends and then with those dividends either make speculative plays in the market or buy yourself some more shares of that company. Because a lot of the money he's actually made and wealth he's created has been after a certain age. And that age I think is over 55 years old. So he's made a lot of his wealth after 50 something years old. And it's from this dividend reinvesting thing. So it definitely works. And it's just a slow process to get started. If you have a large capital startup, then it only helps you get there quicker. So now before I wrap up the episode, let me give one last little teaching moment on dividends in case you look out for a company in the next month or so and you want to get paid that dividend because there might be a little catch at least for the very first dividend payment. You see, there's something called a declaration date, a record date, and a payment date when it comes to companies that offer dividends. So a declaration date is typically when a company comes out and declares when they're going to have their record date and when they're going to actually pay out the dividend. The reason a company has a record date is to let investors know by what date they should still be holding on to those shares if they want to receive the dividend payment. So I'll give a quick example of how this might work. Let's say a company declares on April 25th that they're going to be paying a cash dividend on June 1st as long as you hold the shares by May 15th. So what this means is the declaration date is on April 25th when the company came out and announced to investors. Your payment date is going to be on June 1st which is going to be when the actual cash dividend is going to hit your account, brokerage system or whatever. And the company lets you know via their record date that as long as you're holding their stock as of May 15th by the end of that business day, so don't sell on May 15th, then you are going to be eligible for that cash dividend. So let me run a quick scenario on you. And it's actually a big brain thought I've had. I haven't tried it out yet, and maybe at some point I will. Might even do it on the podcast. We'll see. But let's say I'm just some random individual, and I start looking into a company on 420. Five days later, The company has a declaration date and they say we're going to pay you a dividend on June 1st as long as you hold our company's shares by May 15th of 2021 for one business day. Well, you know what I'm going to think? Heck, on May 14th, I'm going to buy all of these shares for this company. On May 15th, I'm going to hold them. On May 16th, I'm going to sell everything. Hopefully, it either stays the same, barely increases, or barely decreases. I am now going to be receiving all of those dividends on June 1st. Now I'm pretty sure it's a strat that people have implored as hedge funds, but I'm just curious individually how it would work. Because this way, I'd be able to make a quick trade, hopefully not really lose any cash, and then in a couple weeks, I would be getting small amounts of money added to my account via this dividend. That gives me more buying power in my account. So I might fandangle with the idea. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, make sure that you know when you're doing this, all of the dividend money you're receiving, you're going to be paying taxes on. So even though I consider it to be a big brain idea, don't go running around thinking you're going to find a way to out-scheme Uncle Sam. He's going to find you and he's going to spank you if you don't pay your taxes. But I still think it'd be a cool way to add buying power to your brokerage account. And that's about all I've got on today's lesson for stock splits, reversals, treasury stocks, and dividends. Everything I briefly touched upon today 
has to do with the shareholders equity department. So when you're looking on that balance sheet and you see common stock, shareholders equity, just remember all of this stuff goes on behind the scenes for it. And if you've made it this far into the lesson, I just want to say thank you, love you, and until next time, ape out. Reversals might make you feel less outstanding, and splits might make you look smaller, but that don't change a thing. No cap. <laughs>